Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome, Doc, to to my podcast. Uh, this is really excited to have an expert such as yourself on on my show, uh, host of the John Freakin' Muir podcast with over 200 episodes. It is the definitive place for all things John Muir Trail and now uh, outdoor and adventure as a whole. Doc, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Now, did you did you uh, put the word expert in air quotes? Did I see that with your fingers? You did, did some air quotes when you said expert? I just I just talk with my hands. Uh, I think I think I think you you might be selling yourself short, short there. I don't know that there's any any better place to get uh, to get information right now online. Wow, thank you, thank you very much. That <laughs> is that's a, a huge compliment, and I really appreciate that. Uh, you know, I I just uh, like talking to people about uh, outdoor adventures and hiking through hiking, and I hope that people are enjoying it. 
Well, I, I definitely am. Now, I, I always give guests an opportunity to uh, to make sure that to introduce themselves and make sure I've covered everything. Is there is there something that I that I that I missed there that you'd like to expand your uh, your intro to? No, I think you did a pretty good job. I'm I'm just a guy with a podcast uh, who likes talking to people from all over the world. I feel like as a, one of the fringe benefits, I'm not going to get rich doing this, but one of the fringe benefits is being able to talk to people from all walks of life, from all corners of the globe who are interested in the same thing. And that's, uh, that's pretty powerful. Well, we definitely share that in common. Um, now let's Let's rewind the clock here and maybe start all the way at the beginning. I've I watched some of your early episodes, um, which it seems like have really generated, and as the podcast is named uh, John Frick and Muir from the JMT, JMT Trail, uh, would you tell tell our, my listeners just what the, the John Muir Trail, the JMT is, and perhaps your motivation for, for doing it? Absolutely. The John Muir Trail is a hiking path in the Sierras in California. It's a a short little path of 211 miles, and it runs north-south. You can start in Happy Isles, which is in Yosemite National Park, and head south, and uh, it'll end up at the top of Mount Whitney, the highest mountain in the lower 48 at 14,505 feet. And so it goes through all kinds of mountainous terrain, unbelievable beauty, uh, remote wilderness, it really feels like you are all out there by yourself, far, far away from from everybody else, and it's just an incredible, an incredible sight, uh, incredible sight, and an incredible hike. And you know, it really, you know, the, the impetus for for hiking the JMT kind of came out of nowhere. I had I had really no experience with long distance backpacking or hiking. You know, I grew up doing some car camping and and doing some day hikes in my community and. Um, I had a, a buddy that I worked with that we, we did the Los Angeles marathon and thought, okay, what do we do now? What's next? We were kind of, you know, we're in our forties and looking for a way to postpone the, the, the cruel hands of time and thought, you know, let's, uh, let's, he, he had hiked up to the top of Whitney. He had done a day hike from Whitney portal up to, to Mount Whitney. And he came up with the idea of let's, let's do the JMT. And so I had no idea what that was what that was all about. Didn't didn't know that there was such a thing as, you know, through hikers or backpackers who were doing this for multiple days on end. And so we we did some investigation. We booked a trip, and and lo and behold, had a fantastic time. Now that is um, in both cases, your buddy's case, jumping from um, the Whitney hike, which is a really challenging hike. I, I always put it in comparison. Uh, I always say it's comparable perhaps to running a marathon or about on the same, same token, but going from that, or in your case, you know, going from car camping to the JMT is a huge step up. Did you do much in preparation to get ready for this? Yeah, we did a lot of hikes leading up to this, uh, a lot of day hikes. We, we started acquiring gear and started wearing our gear on the hikes. You know, we didn't have a full, fully loaded bear canister or anything, but we, we kept adding things to the pack to make it, you know, to simulate the weight we would be carrying out there. And uh, we, we did do one overnight experience at the KOA in Acton, Agua Dulce, which the PCT goes through. And we hiked a, I think it was a, a 10 or 12 mile stretch of the PCT after spending the night, you know, throwing up the tents and uh, trying out the cooking gear, the stoves, all of that, 
and uh, getting up in the morning, packing it all up and hiking 12 miles where we got picked up by, by one of our spouses. So that's, that's pretty much the prep. I mean, we, <laughs> we kept telling ourselves, Hey, you know, as, as we're getting closer and closer to the date where we're going to, we were going to do this, kept telling ourselves, Hey, all it is, is walking. We're just going to be walking. You know, we have all day, we have all day to walk, you know, so it can't be that bad. Right. So we kind of, you know, tr- tried to talk ourselves up that way. And, you know, there were some, some days where we were on the trail and it was like, holy cow, what are we doing out here? So. Well, we're kindred spirits in that regard. Um, I've never done a through hike of that magnitude, or we could talk about um, maybe section hiking, but I, I did bike pack the CT and my buddy and I, we just didn't have the time to prep for it in a, in a responsible way, shall we say. And so uh, he said to me, hey, we'll just ride into shape on the trail. That was our, our policy, our, our sort of strategy, if you will. Uh, so I think there's a lot of that that goes on uh, on some of these hikes. Absolutely. Now, I'm excited to, after, after being you know, an avid listener, to turn the tables a little bit. And so uh, I know that you do multiple segments that I want to make sure I get in at the beginning and that it will come back at the, at the end of the podcast. So one is, you know, taken from, uh, directly from your, your podcast, the pro tip inside of the week. So I want to make sure, uh, that you, we get a little doc wisdom. So as, as we're going through this podcast, uh, just make sure I'll hit you with that, but I'm, I'm sure you've got plenty of wisdom to share on that, on that regard. Wisdom comes from experience and experience comes from mistakes. So I've made a lot of mistakes, plenty of, lots of wisdom for you. Okay. They say uh, life is the most brutalist of teachers, right? Something something akin to that. That's right. And, the, <laughs> and, then, um, and then now you also do a must-bring gear review. Not to jump too much into the gear review in the beginning, but I'm, I'm just so excited to do it. So now, as, as in the words of Doc, uh, if you were to let a stranger pack your backpack, um, what piece of gear would you absolutely require them to put in and if you've got a brand all the better now eric if we're going to do this we've got to do it right oh did you hear that did that come through oh, i didn't come through oh, oh no okay oh no, right. oh, yeah, no. It, was, it was my little intro from my daughter uh you know the must bring gear review so yeah <laughs> maybe hope hopefully it'll come through in post on the audit yeah Fingers we'll crossed. see we'll see <laughs> okay. But if, if I were going to let a stranger pack my bag, um, I would insist that they put in my quilt. Oh, interesting. Yes. Enlightened equipment quilt. It is, it is fantastic. If they were to put a sleeping bag in there, a mummy bag, I'd be disappointed because I am a slight, a side sleeper. I like to stretch out. I roll, I move around during the night and mummy bag just, it's really constricting at times. And so having a quilt. Uh, does the job to keep me warm, but also allows me to to move around quite a bit. So this was interesting. I I actually thought you were going to say tarp, and I definitely want to bring up the topics of tarp in, in a minute here. But uh, in terms of quilt, I actually I've got a confession that in all my years of hiking, I've never I've never used one. Um, and you know maybe it's that I don't feel as as constricted sleeping in a mummy bag. Is that the main advantage? Just the the freedom. The freedom and it's lighter. Typically, quilts are quilts are lighter than a than a sleeping bag. So the the lightness that that always helps with the load. And then for me, just being able to side sleep and and move around quite a bit is is very helpful too. 
Interesting. And, you know, being an outsider to quilts, uh, my concern, and maybe this is that I, I tend to thrash around a little bit sleeping. Uh, I would I would think that it would be a chillier night, but people swear to me that that's not the case. Yeah. I mean, if you've got the right sleeping pad, an inflatable sleeping pad, and you have the right quilt that has a, f- a foot box in it, you know, you tuck yourself in and you're just fine. Now, do you uh, specify uh, a specific temperature rating for the quilt for something like the JMT, or do you just kind of um, um, dial it in with your by wearing extra layers of clothes? Yeah, it depends on on you know what time of the year you're going, how early or late in the summer is going to depend you know have an impact on what the temperatures might be overnight, and so the 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 comfort rating the the the, the padding. Um, the way you can tweak it is, is to wear some extra layers of clothing, but, um, I have a 15 degree quilt and it's funny because I don't care if you're carrying a sleeping bag or if you're carrying a quilt, whatever, whatever the rating it says it is, it's, it's probably about 10 degrees warmer. I mean, uh, uh, less than that. So if you have a a 15 degree bag, it's, it's, it, you know, you're going to survive at 15, but you're not, you know, my experience is, is that, you know, once you go below 25, then you're really starting to feel it. Right, right. The uh, the degree rating is is often a suggestion. Um, That's right. On, on there, a survival rating. You, if you will, will not. Yeah, you will not die if it gets to this temperature. Is the uh, the rating? <laughs> and and it sounds like you know by the by the decision of the quilt, um, you're in the camp that that truly values sleep overnight and and kind of advocates for the importance of that on these extended hikes. Now you say sleep overnight. I mean, as opposed to, I mean, what's the other option? (laughs) Well, good point. Good point. I guess I'm coming, I'm coming off a few podcasts with adventure racers or or of that sort. And it just seems like they don't sleep. So, oh, I, I do advocate (laughs) sleeping. Yes. Yes. You have, you have to get your sleep and your rest uh, to prepare for the next day. And sometimes after, after a day of hiking and being out in the middle of nowhere, it's tough to get to sleep. I always have problems the first couple of nights falling asleep. Uh, just because I'm hyper aware and excited and uh, it just doesn't come to me very easily. Well, and then, and then too, um, I've, I've noticed, you know, kind of staying on that, that sleeping, sleeping topic, um, the pad you've advocated against perhaps a lot of the pads. I refer to the, to the design in the modern world as crinkly, but uh, I think, I think I've heard potato chip versions. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yes, the, those drive me crazy. That that would keep me up as well as whoever's in camp with me. Um, in fact, I had a guy that that brought one of those on uh, a trip or two with uh, with us, and I would wait until he set up his his tent, and then I would go as far away on the other side of the camp because I I could not spend the night you know ten feet away from him with him just tossing and turning and and all that crinkling going on. This was this is a transition that I have seen kind of in my in my backpacking um, arc, if you will. You know, when I, when I started, the real cool thing was the Thermarest foam insulating pad that is silent, and I also think is probably the most comfortable. Now it's hard to pack, um, so the air pads have I don't know. And my in my estimation have kind of taken over. I'd love to get your thoughts on it, but. There's been a shift as well towards uh, the air pads tend to be a little bit colder, and so to to overcome that, they have to put um, uh, like a mylar insert that makes them just uh, 
annoyingly loud. I, I've never seen a way to get around that other than not to use it. Yeah, you, you're talking about the the Thermarest uh, accordion type foam pads. Yeah, you know, yeah. I've camped with those, and those have have done a, a great job. They're not always the most comfortable, depending on you know what thickness you get on on that pad. Um, I have a climate right now. I think it's called. I think it's pronounced climate. It's K L Y M I T climate, mm-hmm. and it's an inflatable and uh, very. I've had it for years, no problems with it. It's not crinkly. It, it uh, I'm not sure what the Z rating is on that. I mean, people can really do a deep dive on all kinds of things, statistics and details on, on hiking gear. The Z rating tells you how, how uh, cold you're going to be or how warm it's going to keep you. Uh, I'm not sure what the Z rating is on, on the climate, but it, it works just fine. It doesn't make a lot of noise. It keeps me off the ground and, uh, you know, I've survived. So that's, that's, that's good enough. Can't complain there. Right. Now, I... I've noticed, and and this is where I thought you were going to go with the must bring gear review is, uh, staying on the sleep system, but, uh, I thought you were going to go with the tarp. Are you, are you still big on, on the tarp as a, as a, as a means? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that because, (laughs) because, you know, I, I, you know, I think one of the things we were going to talk about, I put some notes down here is, you know, how, how, how have I changed gear wise or, or planning wise? And so. I think the first time you go out, you decide to do this, you're, you're acquiring gear. A lot of people, myself included, show up at REI. REI is a great place to pick up gear. And sometimes it, it, you're, you're, maybe you haven't done your research, maybe you don't know enough uh, about what to look for. You're looking for a tent, you're looking for a backpack, you're looking for a sleeping bag. You, you pick those up and then you get out on the trail and you realize, holy cow, my pack is, is 40 pounds and I've got to add food and water to it, right? And so this, that's just brutal. Um, especially if it's a warm day in Yosemite and you're, 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 you're climbing. So, you know, in hindsight, you say, okay, you say, okay, next hike, I need to lighten up. I get, I need to get some lighter gear, which is more expensive, right? If you're going to get quality light gear, it's going to cost more money. So you, you kind of space it out. You, you got a birthday, you've got Christmas, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to, to make things work on a budget and pick up some good, good gear for, for camping. And then you get really excited and you say, you know what, I can go even lighter. I can go even lighter than this. And so you start to cut corners. You know, you, you become one of those people that breaks your toothbrush in half or uh, you don't bring a toothbrush. You just bring your finger in some kind of toothpaste and you use your finger um, or you bring a tarp. And I, 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 dove, I, I dove down the tarp rabbit hole uh, for, for quite a few trips. And then I, I, I realized that in the quest to go as light as possible, you give up comfort items. You, you, you sacrifice comfort. So you, you are light as heck out there and you're having fun while you're walking, but you get to camp and all of a sudden you're, you're, it's not, it's not fun. I took a bivy on, um, a trip a couple of years ago through the, on the JMT, the Southern half of the JMT. And it began raining in the afternoon. We made camp and it began raining. All of my, my buddies, they jump into their tents. They're fine. Sitting up, they're reading, doing whatever, waiting for the rain to pass. I have to climb into this bivy. I'm laying on the ground in like a, a mummy bag, uh, you know, it, you know, like in, in a sarcophagus and, you know, it just wasn't fun. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to carry a few extra pounds, uh, to ensure some comfort that I'm having a good time when I'm in camp as well. So I did, I did do a tarp for, for quite a few summers. And then I, I went back just this past couple of summers to attend. Oh, that's, I like, that's really interesting that you've kind of walked it back a little bit or yeah. explored kind of all the options. 
I that that's inter- the the interesting thing there is that I thought um, I you know and maybe I've, I'm a few podcasts behind. I thought you were going to be a, a, a you at one point you were kind of a tarp uh, evangelist, if you will. Um, but but to to catch everybody up here, I guess I would break it down as four types of sleep: um, tent and cowboy camping being perhaps the two most extreme. You know, tent is just what it sounds like. You got the full tent to sleep in. Cowboy camping out under the stars, which is an amazing night. And then you've got these two in-betweens, if, if you will, uh, tarp and bivy. Bivy being a hopefully waterproof shell that covers your your mummy sleeping bag. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to hear your story of being in a bivy with all of your friends enjoying, you know, reading a book in a tent. Uh, I've got a similar story of my, myself, same thing. There I was in a, in a hailstorm in Colorado in a bivy, riding it out in a bivy that was questionably waterproof. And that will uh, kind of put a stop to that real quick. And you, you think, man, if I had only bought, or if I had only brought my tent, I could be enjoying everything in, in the, uh, you know, in, in dry, warm uh, comfort, if you will. That's exactly it. And not only is the bivy waterproof, but it's also airproof. And so I, I had a near-death experience on the John Muir Trail. I'm, I am cocooned in the in the bivy on the first night, and I've got a, it. It's raining, and I've got it zipped up tight. I don't want any water getting in. And middle of the night, I start feeling like short of breath. I'm like, what is going on? I, so I, you know, I got the flashlight out. I'm looking around. I unzip it a little bit, and there I see a little tag on the inside of the bivy. It says. Do not zip completely shut or you may suffocate. I'm like, oh, okay. That might have been good in like big writing somewhere on the packaging. Good initial information. Right. Now, now, now putting this in conversation with your original uh, JMT hike, now you did not do the whole thing on the first go. Is that correct? Yeah. I, in fact, this is, this is a big plug for section hiking because I've never done the whole thing in one go. Just I did, didn't have the time to take off of work, uh, or to or to take away from the family, and so the, you know the most time I'm able to get away from 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 the family and from work, possibly ten days, uh, even that that's a stretch. And so we've we've done it in sections. I've done the southern half three times, uh, which goes from like Muir Trail Ranch down to Whitney, which is about 125 miles. Which you know for me that's that's awesome. Had a great time. You're out in the middle of nowhere. You feel accomplished after hiking 125, 125 miles. I think if you if you were to survey the population, less than one percent of the population in the world has done a 125 mile hike. So I I say okay, that, that that's good enough. Now, um, I've, I've hiked every foot of the the John Muir Trail, but in sections. So I've done the, I've done the whole thing. I've done it in different different sections, different summers, and that's it's been great. I, I really like, and, and and that's one of the things that why I was, I was really happy to have you on is that I find um, on on my podcast, what you tend to have are the perhaps most extreme people who are doing not only the JMT, but sometimes the PCT or the Triple Crown and these, you know, monster hikes, uh, you know, thousands of miles of, of hiking stacked up. And for the average listener, that's just not feasible. Um, and it sounds like you and I are in the same camp of it's relatively hard to to get those that time off. Uh, the the JMT, I guess I would put it a three week trip uh, if you're if you're hiking at right. a reasonable pace. Uh-huh. right. And so there's this there's this uh, sort of 
other way to do it in sections. Now, were you aiming from the start uh, to do it in two sections or were you thinking you were going to split it up even more? Yeah, that was the original idea. We'd do the southern half, you know, the first summer and then the next summer we'd do the northern half. And then the northern half, uh, you know, things happened and we ran into some really inclement weather and didn't look like the weather was going to be changing much over the next three or four days. And we had to make a decision of, do we want to do this just for doing it and, and be miserable doing it? Or do we want to bail out and, and uh, you know, have um, discretion be the better part of valor this time and, and live to sell another day? So, you know, I know all the hardcore hikers out there now listening, uh, the, our, the PCTers, the triple crowners are going, oh, this guy, what a wuss. But, you know, we, we made that decision not to suffer for three or four days and and not know when or where we were going to end up. So it turned well, into a, a couple of more trips to do the to northern half. We, we picked it up uh, where we where we left off. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, I, I, I totally hear you on the, the one or 2% that are, that are, have done it all, but the 98% are impressed that you've completed it at all. So you're, you're in good company. Um, um, it's a, it's actually a dream of mine to one day complete the whole trail growing up in that region. I've, I've never actually strung it all together or, or even completed it section wise. So my, uh-huh. my experience is even more spotted than you, if you will. Now, Eric, I mean, we we could section hike the PCT. We just do a hundred miles every summer. We could we could be done in twenty six years, twenty six and a half. <laughs> right, right. If only, if yeah. only. It's a it's a different different uh, different breed of person uh, who's who's who does that. Or or you know, um, yeah, absolutely. So now. Are you are you thinking that you would like to to move on to other objectives now that you've done the the JMT? It sounds like the southern section you mentioned about about three times. Are you hoping to stay in the in the Sierras or or branch out a little bit? You know, I love the Sierras. Um, great time on the JMT. That southern section I think is the better half of the section. I love the altitude. I love being above the tree line, kind of the, the desolate granite landscapes and the the uh, the high alpine lakes are just unforgettable. And so if I had another chance to do the southern half of the JMT, I would I would do it in a heartbeat. Um, I've done the, I, we did the High Sierra Trail last year, which is a bit shorter, it's about 70 miles and it goes east-west. Um, we I've done the Mineral King Loop in Sequoia a couple of times, which is uh, like a 38 mile loop and it has two huge passes, uh, Black Rock Pass and Sawtooth Pass, and uh, very challenging at times. I mean, they're, they're, I have I've never felt worse on, on a trail than I have at certain portions of Mineral King. Um, so it's pretty tough. And we've, we've, I've done the uh, Trans-Catalina Trail three times. So that's a, a trail on Catalina Island. It's also about 38 miles from tip to tip, which is a lot of fun. And then you got... You got uh, all kinds. It's almost like glamping because you have designated campsites, you have, you know, restroom buildings, you've got uh, water. You don't have to filter your water. Um, there are restaurants along the way, depending on, you know, where you are on, on the hike. You can you can have breakfast at the airport and then have lunch at uh, two harbors when you get there. So it, it's kind of like glamping, but there's also live bison just roaming the island, uh, you know, which is could be exciting. Absolutely. I, it's interesting, uh, how your baseline changes for what is glamping and what is not glamping uh, <laughs> right. after, after spending a, a few cycles on the JMT. <laughs> yeah. Now, 
Now, uh, I've been referring to you as Doc this entire time. Uh-huh. I believe that's your trail name. What is a trail name and how'd you get it? Yeah, so a trail name, I, you know, I've come to understand is a unique American tradition where hikers on, on longer trails um, give each other names out there, kind of nicknames based on, you know, maybe some kind of personality quirk or something that happens on the trail to a person or uh, maybe where they're from. Um, and so I got doc, I have my, I have a doctorate. I, I am not a medical doctor by any means, but uh, it's not really an exciting story. The guys just called me doc when I was out on the trail and it, 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 it just stuck. So not too exciting, but I like, I like the name. I like, I like the trail name. And in fact, it's a, my it's kids, a... my kids, my own kids who are in their twenties and their significant others now call me doc. You know, it, it's, uh, I think that'll be my name when I'm grandpa. I'll be, I'll be grandpa doc. So it's a, it's a good name and a great story. And I think that seg- that's a kind of, uh, uh, seg- segues us into, um, a little bit of a outdoor life balance as I like to refer to it. We've been talking a lot, um, you know, about kind of balancing these grand outdoor trips and in, in your case, and as well as in my case too, how you kind of have to plan it around real life. Um, so I take it that you are not a professional outdoorsman, uh, that this is a, this is a hobby for you. Uh, wh- what do you do? What do you do? F- and, and how, what do you do for, for money and to pay the bills? And, uh, how do you balance that with, uh, your outdoor ambitions? Okay. So once upon a time I was an English teacher and from there I, I joined the administrative ranks and was an assistant principal and a principal. Um, at different parts of my career at the, the same school up here in Santa Clarita. I was a, a site administrator for about 20 years. And now I, I currently work at the district office of my school district. Interesting. Now I find that there is uh, perhaps edu- educators or people in the academic profession are almost over-indexed in the outdoors. I think the lifestyle gives them perhaps a bit more flexibility, not an extreme amount, but uh, it's it's a better balance perhaps. Yeah, I've talked to a number of people on the podcast who are from the world of education and who have uh, exploited their time away in the summer to take on these adventures. And in fact, the first time I heard about through hiking was from a teacher who was at our feeder junior high school where I was principal. And he told me that he was section hiking the, the Pacific Crest Trail. And I'm like, Okay, I understood every word in that sentence, but I have no idea what you're talking about. Tell me, tell me what you're talking about. Well, I it's, I, I go for a hike, and I, I start here in the morning, and I I walk and I make camp, and then I get up the next day and I keep walking and I make camp. And I said, you're out there camp because my only experience at that point was car camping. I said, you're out there camping, but you're walking all day, and then setting up a new camp. How, what? How does that work? And so he kind of got me intrigued or interested. And that kind of helped when, when my buddy at work suggested we do the, the JMT. I kind of had an inkling as to what it was all about at that point. Hopefully he wasn't doing that uh, over 26 years. He's been doing it for a long time. And he's currently, <laughs> okay. if you ask him where he is on the trail, he's currently up in, in Washington. So he's getting close to finishing it. Ah, getting pretty close. Yeah. Uh, now that's a that's an interesting point to to kind of riff on a little bit is that you've been mentioning um, these trails pretty much in a northbound way, but but I've talked to a number of people that have almost been torn of the decision to go northbound or, or southbound. 
Um, I guess in your case, kind of section hiking, it's a little bit different, but did you plan, uh, did you look at the terrain at all before you started and, and said, Hey, I want to go in one direction or the other? A lot of people want to do the JMT going southbound because the elevation at Happy Isles is like 4,700 feet and you build your way up gradually. If you were to start at the, the Southern terminus and hike northbound, you are, you know, finding yourself, uh, at 14,505 feet at the very beginning and kind of making your way above the 10,000 foot line for the, for the first, you know, 50% of, of the trail before kind of de- decreasing a little bit. And so you could run into problems with altitude sickness if you uh, are not acclimated. And so, you know, the majority of people try and do the, the, the southbound hike, but they're, you know, and they, those are kind of like the golden ticket. If you can't get it, if you can't get a happy hours permit, then there are several other ways to access the trail either going northbound or southbound. So you see people going in both directions on the GMT. Now the longer trails, the the PCT, the CDT, um, depends on when you're going to start. If you're going to start traditionally, you know, around March or April, uh, then you have time to hike northbound and beat the snows before you get to Canada or, or beat most of the snow. But if you, if your time frame, your job, your, your outside life was not going to let you start in March or April, you have a later start date. A lot of people will start at the, the Northern terminus and go South because they can get through that, you know, mountainous terrain, the higher elevations, um, before the snow starts coming down and they finish in the desert, hiking down towards the Mexican border. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Through hiker owned, Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Want to make a podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for podcasters. And here's how it works. 
Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your pod- podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Now, you mentioned there starting started the JMT going northbound. Is it such a high elevation um, at, at Whitney? And, and I find that, too, as I get older and older, um, it's just more of a challenge to deal with altitude as well as the first couple days on a trail is always an adjustment. Um, did you find in the beginning that that, that was the, it was the same way? And uh, did you uh, have to make some gear decisions to, to lighten your load? The first, the first day of a hike is always brutal. I don't care how much you've trained. Once you get a pack on your back and you're hiking at altitude and if the sun is out, if it's a warm day, it sucks. It, it's, <laughs> it is not fun. And you, and that, and you're thinking to yourself, what am I doing? Now? This is day one. There's no way, there's no way I'm going to be able to finish this yet. You know, we have, we, we've not quit. We've not turned around. We've not thrown in the towel. Um, sometimes you make a donation to the, to the hiking gods. I'm not going to carry this another foot. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's always that first day is the worst, is the worst. And in the words of IB Tat, uh, Jeff Oliver, uh, never quit on a bad day, never quit on a bad day, push through. And, uh, if you're going to, if you're going to stop on a, on a trip, stop on your own terms. Oh, interesting. I, I like that. I've, uh, I've, I've also heard kind of a, a similar sentiment, uh, never drop out of a race at night, you know, where it, when morale is low, you just want to wait and, and get through the night. And then maybe in the light of day or in the, or as a few days, in your case, as a few days pass by, you just have a, a more, a healthier, um, a, a healthier observation of what's going on. That's right. Now, <laughs> Now, you know, you mentioned sacrificing gear to the trail gods. Did it take you a while to get your gear dialed in? Um, or, or do you feel like you're in a place now where it's, where it's pretty dialed? I'm always tinkering. And so I've had the good fortune to pick up a couple of sponsors along the way, different sponsors, sponsors have come and gone, and I've been able to pick up some gear from some different folks. So I've got different backpacks. I've got different tents. I've got tarps. I've got, uh, sleeping bags and quilts. And so I'm always, I'm always kind of tinkering and mixing and matching and, and trying out new combinations to see what, what works. Oh, that's interesting. Now, when you pick up a, when you pick up a new sponsor, do you find that you peruse through the product catalog and, and really have your eye on a, on a key piece of gear? How does that conversation go? Absolutely. I mean, I, I typically what has happened and the way it's worked for me is that I have in my quest to find guests, I'm always, I'm always scouting talent. And I have, I have stumbled across a couple of people who work either, either are the creators of the company or who work at a high level in the company. And, um, I've had them on the podcast and they've enjoyed their experience. And through that experience able to, you know, 
you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So I always just put myself out there and say, hey, would you like to be affiliated with the podcast and uh, strike up some kind of relationship here? And, you know, sometimes it's for money and sometimes it's for gear. And so it's been a beneficial relationship. And I, I do find myself, once once the relationship has been uh, established, spending some time looking through the catalog, of course. Uh, well, I, I tell you what, this podcast is, is partly for myself. I've taken notes here on the side, so I'll be, <laughs> as I've got my list to go through. Uh, that, was pro, that was a pro tip. That was a pro tip just for you, Eric. <laughs> that, that, well, thank you. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. All right. I find, I find, and as we were talking about beforehand, I spent so many years working at, at REI and for much of that time, my paycheck just got recycled into, uh, into the gear. So, so I've got a growing collection myself, but there's always room for more. Um, all right, doc, now staying on, on the gear, uh, one of the sayings that I've picked up from, from, from your podcast, and I've, I've realized mine is slightly different. So I'd like to get your take on it. Uh, I always say that there's, when, whenever you're, you're finding gear and selecting new gear, there's kind of three aspects. You can, it can either be light, warm, or inexpensive. Now, I believe you tweak that saying a little bit, um, to include durability, correct? Yes. Yeah. Light, light, durable, and expensive. And it typically the, it, the lighter it is and the more durable it is, the, the, the more expensive it is. So it's the, the gear triangle. That that's interesting. Uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm more cons- maybe I just run colder than you and, and more concerned about uh, freezing out on the, on the trail and, and that's how I switch switch that around. Well, there was one night on the on the the edge of Thousand Island Lake in late September uh, in the Sierras where I was under a tarp. I was really happy about being lightweight because you know it was a great day of hiking. And then that night I froze my butt off. I had I had every single piece of clothing that I brought. Uh, on, I had you know both pairs of socks, both both pairs of underwear. I had my rain pants on. I had uh, my my base layers on. I had my jacket on, and I still I still froze. I had to get up at like four thirty and just start walking because I I couldn't take another minute of it. Oh wow! If you if you were motivated enough to get up and walk, uh, that's that's a real sign that you were cold. <laughs> <laughs> that's and that's that's also what I was going to say. I feel like a tent is warmer. Now I think the science is debatable on that one. Correct? Well, it is. It, it's a thin wall of, of <laughs> you know nylon or, or whatever the material might be of your tent. But I think you know it does. It probably does retain warmth as compared to a tarp. You know, a tarp you you're you're keeping the frost off of you and uh, any any weather but you're going to feel that cold air. Right. And if it's breezy, it's coming right, right through. That's right. Uh, it, it, depending on the direction you've set it. I know that right. there are yeah, many ways to set, to set up. That's right. You want to set up your tarp to to block the wind. Yeah. <laughs> you've got a, and a, um, now, and I, and I believe too, you're, you're a bit of a connoisseur of the different styles of setting up a tarp. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. Like- there, there is some guy with the YouTube channel named Papa Hiker. And he, he just has several videos on different tarp pitches. And I, I like, you know, lots of rabbit holes with, with through hiking. I went down, went down that rabbit hole watching Papa hiker videos for hours one Saturday, just experimenting with, with different tarp pitches. You know, you, you pause the video on the TV inside, you run out and you kind of do the setup and it wasn't quite right. You come back in and, you know, my, my wife and the rest of my family just thought I was absolutely crazy. 
do you, do you have a cause see I, no, I, I'm only familiar with, I guess I would just refer to it as a frame style or just the uh-huh. classic over the top, but do you, do uh-huh. you have a preferred or an ideal setup here? I do. I, I prefer the asymmetrical Holden. <laughs> okay. Okay. That seems like a, a rather obscure reference right there. It, it is. It is. So <laughs> right now, pause the podcast, just pause it and do a search for asymmetrical Holden, H-O-L-D-E-N, and you'll see what I, it looks like. Now, I'm, I'm uh, uh, coming from my previous career as a, as an analyst, I'm doing it in real time here. Is this a, uh-huh. is that a, is this a Holden Caulfield reference? I know you were form, formerly an English I, teacher. I didn't make up the term. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> come up with this myself. Um, this is commonly accepted tarp pitch lingo. So I'm not sure where the Holden comes from. Okay. Now I'm seeing it. I would describe it as, uh, almost, uh, if I'm, there's, there's a couple of different examples here, but I'm seeing it's, I would almost call it like a bear cave or like a wrap around to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, the asymmetrical refers to, you have one pole, uh, that is kind of towards, it's not on the very end, but it's, it's on the grommet just inside the end. And then you've got, uh, your, your, your cords, uh, pulling the rest of the tarp in different directions to, to keep it nice and taut, but it really allows you to have a view of the night sky. And also if you've got uh, some wind involved, if you set it up uh, in the right direction, you can, you can screen out that wind as well. Mm, okay. Now, now are you a, uh, trekking pole kind of guy? I know, I know that, I know that you typically on your podcast go dive into a number of, um, uh, issues, if you will, or, or subjects that, that, uh, that people would be shocked are, are fairly contentious within the outdoor community. Yes. Yes. The hiking pole, P-O-L-L. That's a, a pole is in survey, not the kind you, you hold in your hand. That's a regular feature on, on the podcast. I ask some questions to get people to decide one way or the other, how they, how they line up with the topic. And one of them is hiking poles and, you know, P-O-L-E, believe it or not, P-O-L-E, right. P-O-L-E, that's correct. <laughs> yes. Believe it or not, there's a lot of people out there in the hiking world that, that really aren't fond of, of hiking poles. Uh, I fall on the side of using hiking poles. I, I think they're very useful. Not only can you use them with your tents or your tarps, uh, but uh, they're great to establish, you know, additional points of contact with the ground. If you're doing river crossings, um, if you're crossing over a log, uh, it's good to, to to be able to kind of balance with those. And you know, you're pulling yourself up up hills. Uh, it's almost like having a handrail that you can help. You know, you're using your arms to get you up as well, and it saves on the knees on the downhills. So a lot, a lot of good positive reasons to use hiking poles. A lot, a lot of, a lot of great points there. I'm, a, I'm yeah. a little scared to admit that I am not a hiking pole user, but I, I find myself often recommending them. So they're, they're a great tool and a great aid. Uh-huh. I just don't practice what I preach. I guess. One of those guys. One of those guys. Now, are you are you in this in a, in a similar camp with uh, hiking boots versus trail runners? Yeah, I started off with boots. I think everybody who thinks they're going to get into hiking think you know automatically. Well, I'm hiking. I need hiking boots, and so I I followed that same mistake, and was really uncomfortable uh, on a couple of hikes. You know, if the feet aren't happy, you know it's it's, it's no fun being out there, and so you know. Before I did the 2017 hike of the southern southern half of the JMT with my son, like a week before, I said I, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this with boots, and I went out and got some uh, 
some Cascadias, Brooks Cascadias, just happened to be at REI and was looking and looking and looking and found uh, the Brooks Cascadias. They seemed to be a, a, you know, made for the purpose and didn't think about my feet once on during those 125 miles. So it was a game changer. Well, we're, we're in lockstep uh, in that one. The Brooks Cascadia act, happened to be my, my preferred shoe uh, when hiking nice. as well. So there you go. We share that in common. Yeah, I, I like that you call that out. It's, it's a, bit of a, a, a bit of a myth or a bit of a that you have to have a hiking boot. And I guess I would, I would add to that, that that, you know, it's a shoe that you rarely wear. And so you never have the chance to break it in. Uh, and so you get out as, you know, as you've kind of, uh, flagged on these first couple of days with weight on uh, weight on your back um, in the Sierra Sun, and it can be it can be a pretty rough experience. Uh, <laughs> I hope hopefully you bring enough mols- moleskin. That's right. I, I talked to some poor guy who who used boots on the AT, and they did not fit quite right. Whatever the reason might be, but he was in pain and he was scared to look at his feet, so he just kept them on. He never took them off until he got to some town and he decided to take off his boots and see how bad the problem was and tore off like, I don't know how many layers of skin and just kind of sloughed off as he took off his boot and he had to wrap that up with duct tape to to keep on going. It was just a, a brutal story. I can't imagine that he remembers that 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 journey with any type of fondness. I think I think you are uh, really making the case for trail runners <laughs> here is what, is what I'm hearing. Uh, absolutely. Now you've, you've talked a little bit, as you kind of mentioned your various trips, some succeed and, you know, some are for lack of a better word, I'm hesitant to say failure, but you know, you didn't, you didn't complete the original intended objective. How do you, how do you personally deal with that on the trail? And, um, and what's your group dynamic like when you have to make the call to turn around or to alter your plans? Yeah. I think when we look at each other, and all of us have big wide eyeballs and are saying, are we having fun? Are we enjoying this? Is this what we we uh, expected? Is this as painful as we thought it was gonna be? I think that's that's when the conversation gets going. Again, you never wanna you never wanna stop on a on a bad day, but you know, there were there were a couple of trips where like that one I told you about, we were trying to do the northern half and just ran into days uh, in the forecast of just nothing but but rain and and uh, thunder. Um, where we we decided to, to pack it in, we were we were near Mammoth Lakes that Mammoth Lakes at that point, and decided that was a good jump out point. Um, we also uh, wanted to test the gear out on top of uh, San Gorgonio. We we're going to do an overnight there, and same kind of thing. We we were setting up our tents, and snows were coming down, and and thought, mm. I mean, we we stuck it out for a couple of hours in the tents, and just got colder and colder and colder, and said, let's uh, let's bug out. And so, I think. You know, you, you never want to call it a failure. It's it's uh, it's an experience, and you want to learn from that experience. But you also you also if you're you're not one of these guys who's doing twenty six hundred miles, you you also want to be around to to be able to experience the the, you know, the next big trip. And so I don't I don't think there's a problem with uh, knowing what you're facing and and deciding whether or not that that you're up for that. It's it's also interesting uh, too to hear you talk about it. It sounds like the weather plays a pretty big role. Uh, that it's just it's just hard to make it through um, really tough weather in the outdoors. Yeah, it was funny because when we were coming, when we made the decision near Gladys Lake, 
uh, on the the JMT that you know we checked the the out the out the out days for the weather on uh, the Garmin device and it was just more of the same. We decided okay we're gonna turn around, so we we went back down to Red's Meadow and as we were going back down we we came in we ran into a I think she was from France, a young woman from France who was hiking northbound. And we tried to tell her, hey, it's it's going to stuff with bad weather for the next few days. And she kind of looked down her nose at us and said, you you are JMT hikers. I am a PCT hiker. I don't care. Weather doesn't matter to me. I just, I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. And so, you know, it also, it, it, that kind of factors in, in as well, I guess. <laughs> well, I, I guess so. You, every, everybody's got to make their own decision, uh, yeah. you know, and, and go go down that route. That's funny. I was uh, it that it kind of you know, and I I absolutely agree with your decision. And I I find that um, do you do you find that as you get more experience and perhaps um, go after bigger objectives or you know, more remote objectives or however you'd like to define it here that you're, that you're, and again, I don't want to say failure rate, but I'm, I'm still searching for a better word increases over time. I think, I think your tolerance, maybe your tolerance level, uh, increases. And so we oh. were, we were on the Southern half of the JMT a couple of summers ago and ran into a rainstorm, the thunderstorm for the first day and a half and didn't even think about turning around we just we just kept going i mean i think i think you you know you build up that tolerance and what to expect and if you're in the sierras uh even if the day starts out sunny that doesn't mean it's going to be sunny all day i mean these storms kick up in in no time and they, they blow through and and uh always expect to get get a little bit wet and so i think the more you do it the more more your tolerance when i, when I talked to that french woman you know coming the opposite direction she's been hiking since mexico right so she's She's got 700 miles under her belt, all kinds of experience. So I'm sure her tolerance level was was very high. Right, right. I was, uh, I, I, it, it reminds me of, I was running a marathon one time and this guy had the sign. It was my favorite sign I've ever seen at a marathon. It was deep in, you know, mile 22, 23, and everybody was kind of, you're starting to feel it, um, hitting the wall or just past the wall, if you will, or in my case, deep in the wall. Um, and the sign said, if you don't mind, it doesn't matter. So, nice. <laughs> My favorite sign on the on the mar- marathon uh, trail was this guy holding up a sign. He wasn't running, but he was holding up a sign saying, "This is the worst parade ever." <laughs> I think it. I think it's important to have that uh, dry or dark humor when you're Absolutely. out doing doing these huge adventures. Uh, Absolutely. Now, on the mindset of that, and perhaps the the mentality, do you find that you get a lot of energy from the the people, the friends that you hike with? Um, and how has your mentality changed over time? It sounds like you've built up quite a resilience in the outdoors uh, to be able to walk through a, a rainstorm uh, and not not mind it. Yeah, dy- group dynamics are interesting because um, you think that if you for people who have not done a lot of hiking, they hear about guys going out or, or people going out and, and doing a hike together, a uh, multiple day hike. You you don't all hike at the same speed. And so um, we have over the years kind of grown accustomed to having these spaces open up between us as we hike. We could be, you know, 10 yards behind uh, the person in front of us, or we could be a half mile back. Uh, but we know that we're going to eat lunch at the same place. We're going to take breaks at the same place. 
we're going to camp at the same place. And so a lot of the time you're hiking with your, your, your buddies, but you know, you're on your own, you're alone in your head, you're, you're thinking about stuff. And, uh, sometimes I, I realized several times that I don't know the words, the complete words to any, any one song, except for happy birthday. I know all of those words, but any other song from my youth or even my adulthood, I, 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 I couldn't sing every word of a single song, which is kind of embarrassing. Now, now, I mean, you know, it sounds like, it sounds like you're, you're not going to be a professional vocalist or singer. So I think you're safe on that front. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Now, do you find that you en- enjoy the the um, both the solitude and the kind of group dynamic? Is that something that you find appealing? Yes, and in fact, there were times where we we tried to hike closer together and talk to each other along the way, which is good in spurts. But if you try and do it the whole time, you're going to annoy each other. And uh, so sometimes it's it's better just to to be out there. And it, I think it's also very cool to experience the middle of nowhere by yourself. To some degree, I think that's that is healthy, that is exciting, um, exhilarating. So that's a good thing. It's you know, and I think I think it's really interesting to hear you say that. Um, even though you're the host of of a podcast with over 200 episodes, but you really enjoy the 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 solitude and and being alone. I find that when I go out in the wilderness, uh, specifically the hardest the hardest grouping. Is is it when it's just you and a buddy? Um, because then then the dynamic is is it, there's a little bit of pressure for you guys to always be on, always be interacting. Do you find you try to, you prefer a little bit larger groups as a result of that? Um, I've done just me and my son out there before. I've done groups as big as six, <laughs> and even when you, if you're in a group as big as six, I think there's also kind of a natural separation into like three pairs sometimes, and so. Um, again, another good reason not to hike so close to each other is if you're not the first guy, all you're doing is looking at the calves of the guy in front of you. And, you know, there's, there's much better views out there than that. And if you're, if you're the second guy and you want to take a break and you're, you're just like 15 feet behind the the guy in front of you and the guy in front of you doesn't want to take a break. I mean, you feel, you feel, I don't know, inadequate saying, Hey, can we take a break? I'm tired. Well, the other guy is just ready to keep charging a charging ahead. If you're if you're if you got that half mile distance between you or a few hundred yards between you, you can break as many times as you want and 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 feel just fine about it. I hear you on that, and I I would I would just add that it's especially true on the uphills is that everybody really is at a different pace, and you kind of got to be alone in your head. Um, Absolutely, some, some of these challenging peaks. I, I also like that call out. <clears throat> excuse me, that. Um, that the view when you're um, behind your friends is is often the calves. You you know uh, I know as as you're well aware, right? There's all these amazing um, YouTube videos of the JMT now that just they show the trip in all its glory. But often they're they're relatively your view is you can you're hiking with blinders on for lack of a yeah. better word. Yeah, chopper chopper's got a great set of calves, but it doesn't mean that's all I want to see. So I, I either have to, you know, occasionally lead or, or just fall back and, and not worry about keeping up with him. Wise words, right there. <laughs> now I wanted to make a uh, make sure we had a chance to talk about your podcast. Um, okay. What was the the sort of the motivation and the vision for for starting it? 
Yeah, a little interesting story. My son and a couple of his buddies, they tried to do it. They started a podcast doing a kind of like their take on sports. And they were recording in the garage and you know, I I I'd listen in a couple of times and they thought they were they were doing a great job. Um I would listen to their podcast and it sounded like one of them was in, in a closet somewhere, you know, chiming in. I'm like, you got guys, you gotta get Wesley out of the closet. Let him let him get him closer to a microphone so he can you know, this is your product. They, they can only hear your voice, you know, make sure it's, it's good. And so I was, you know, both you and I live in Southern California. I was on a work day. I had to go down to uh, Downey and I'm stuck in LA traffic and I'm thinking about the trail and I'm thinking, you know, how, how do I, how do I stay connected? I, I'm, I'm months away from my next big hike. How do I stay connected to the outdoors? How do I stay connected to the trail? And the fact that my son and his buddies were doing a podcast and the, the just being stuck in traffic, I just, it just kind of, you know, light bulb went off, do, do a podcast about, about hiking, about outdoor adventure. And so that's kind of how it all came together. I gotcha. The, all the, all the aspects kind of clicked together and, and you got there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, re- that's really cool. And, you know, it, it's, it's clear from listening to the episodes that you have just an immense passion for the outdoors and, and it gives you the opportunity to, to right connect with not only stay connected to the outdoors, but connect with all these amazing people. Um, now on that note, in the beginning, did you find you had trouble getting the guests you wanted on or, and I guess I should ask at this point, are you getting, uh, all the guests that you, that you want on the podcast? Yeah. I think we said this off air leading up, uh, to our, our talk tonight where if, if I have any listeners who are, are currently listening, who have been with me since the beginning, I want to thank them. They, they have really s- survived the, the full gamut of the, the John freaking Mirpod because when it started out, I, I didn't know what it was that I was just a guy with a, a microphone and a, and a computer and, and trying to figure some stuff out. So I had all kinds of different formats going different guests is this about me and my buddies talking about hiking was this about me talking to somebody i didn't know and their experiences was this me telling a story you know i've had episodes that that do you know all of those things uh, individually and it took me a while to kind of settle in as as to what kind of a, a podcast i wanted to have and so it's turned into really an interview podcast where i will i will look for people on in the news or on social media and reach out to them and ask them if they want to come in and share their experiences uh with our listeners and it's it's really allowed me to talk to a a wide variety of people from different walks of life from all over the world uh which is uh just the coolest thing i think i maybe i said it earlier i don't know if i, I don't know if i already said this or not if we said this before we started recording but you know you don't make a lot of money doing this the, the reward comes from making these connections with people and letting them tell their stories. Absolutely. And it's, it's, I, we're very much kindred spirits. It sounds like I'm on multiple fronts, but it's just always amazing. I, I used to love meeting people on the trail. And so to be able to bring that and, and, you know, engage with more people for a wider audience is great. Now your format, um, as I'm, I'm just developing and you can kind of see that this is a, perhaps a looser style. I noticed that you have quite a bit of structure built into your podcast. Is that by design? It is. It is. I, I am a guy who craves structure. I like to be organized. Um, it's actually a downfall on the trail. You can, you can plan to the nth degree about, you know, where you're going to camp and what you're going to bring and what it's going to look like. And you have all these expectations. 
And then you get out there on the trail and it kind of punches you in the mouth and you've got to be flexible and, and readjust. Um, but when I'm doing stuff, especially when I'm, when I'm speaking, I like to have notes. I, I like to sound like I know what I'm talking about. I want to try and sound polished. And so I, I over-prepare. That's kind of how I compensate for, you know, whatever fear I have uh, about, you know, public speaking or, or talking uh, in front of people. And so I, I try and script it out as much as possible. And um, I think I'm getting better at, you know, I, I don't script out the discussion points as much when we're talking to the to the guest about, you know, where they've been, what they've done. I'll have, I'll have you know, what trails they've done, but, you know, I'll let them tell the story and I will kind of counterpunch with, with questions, follow-up questions um, to kind of zero in on some of the details and elicit some funny stories. So, but, but the structure, it really helps put me at ease uh, for the interviews. I can understand that. Just coming into it with, with a little bit prepared gives you, definitely gives you the confidence to, to move forward. It's interesting um, though that you cite craving that structure in, in, in the comparison of the outdoor landscape, if you will, I find that, uh, and I, I feel like I'm doing a lot of quotes tonight, but I, but I really like them. But I, I, my, myself. So I, I find that I always say, I, you know, you, you do what you can when you can, and the rest of the time you just brace for impact. Uh, now the outdoors is a, is a unpredictable landscape when things turn south, do you find that you could, that you're comfortable rolling with the punches or? Um, so I like to think of the outdoors is it's, it is structured. I mean, what you're doing out there is pretty structured. You are, you're, it's very simple. It's, you know, city life is very complicated. We've got appointments, we've got phones, we've got all kinds of things going on in our lives, but out on the trail, it's a very simple structure. You are, you're, you're waking up in the morning, you're, you're packing everything up, you're eating breakfast, you are marching, you know, 10, 15, 20 miles to the next campsite, you're setting up camp and you're, you're doing it all over again. You just, you just keep doing that day after day. And so that, that, I think there's great simplicity and there's also great structure to that. I mean, there's a very single mindedness of, of purpose, very singular purpose. Um, which is in, is enjoyable. I, I love that. Yeah. I love that all, all the complexities fall away, and you're just out there with nature doing very simple things. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. It is simple, but it is hard. You're doing hard things out there, and I think when uh, things get really hard, that's when you kind of embrace the the uh, the sing the singularity of of purpose there that you you are, um, you know. Being, uncomfort- being uncomfortable, leaning into being uncomfortable and knowing that, okay, I just have to get to this point and I'm going to, I'm going to set up, set up camp and we'll do this all, all over again tomorrow. And if you do that enough times, you can go from Mexico to Canada. Wow. I really like that viewpoint of it. Um, I've, I've often always thought of the outdoors as a little bit more wild. And I think, I think I've just tried to think back to my, one of my more recent trips was we we went for my buddy and i we went for it's a rock climb the face of whitney and we showed up uh just because we we didn't have the we we couldn't pick and choose the time of year as as is often the case and we had to go in early may and as a result the snow levels were way lower than we had anticipated and so as a result the timeline um the or the timetable that we all had just had to all get reset and jumbled around 
Um, but that's it's interesting to hear your perspective on how the the simplicity of waking up every morning, hiking to a destination, and and if you do that enough times, you 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 know you go you get all the way to Canada from Mexico, right? Now, have you? I, I'm curious talking about your your guests a little bit. Um, is there is there a guest that, or are you? Com- let me know if you're not comfortable saying this, but I'm I'm wondering if there's a guest that has surprised you the most. Yeah, I, I, you know, in preparing for this, I, I jotted down a, a few guests that have provided some surprises. So I hope you don't mind. I, I have multiple answers to that. Please. So the the biggest surprise. I think I had an interview was when I asked someone about his childhood, Jack Jones, also known as Quadzilla, triple crowner, now a calendar year triple crowner. He did the calendar year triple crown this past year where he hiked all three long American trails in one calendar year. But I asked him about his childhood thinking that I get the the standard answer that he he grew up such and such a place and they did some camping and he he enjoyed it. And But he told me he, he was actually born in China. And it was during the whole uh, Tiananmen Square. Uh, it's not a revolution, but uh, you know the, the social unrest and and the protests. And his dad was very outspoken uh, during that time. And he was just a little kid. He was like five, six, seven years old. And uh, his dad was imprisoned. And the family, to uh, look out for his best interest, Jack's best interest, uh, actually sent him to America. By himself, where he ended up being adopted by a woman in the in the South, and so, wow. I mean, I was just blown away by that story that that he was you know sent on his own as a little kid uh, to a strange country and was uh, was adopted by by somebody else and and grew up in America and became this incredible endurance athlete. So that was just a very powerful story that that that's incredible yeah that that it must have been i mean an enormous cultural adjustment as well as um right just being separated from your family Uh Um, wow i'm excited i'm excited now that you flagged it to go back and listen to that episode yeah Yeah, some other people that have really surprised me uh jeff garmeyer aka legend uh an incredible endurance athlete just what he's able to endure and accomplish out there. He's got, he just set the FKT for the JMT, did it in 72 hours and 47 minutes, which is basically you're doing 70 mile days. That's just unbelievable. Uh, and he is hilarious. He is so funny to talk to. And his side job for a while, he was a substitute teacher. And I, that, that is mind boggling to me. I'm like, do those kids, do they even know what they have in front of them? I mean, this, this guy is a character with all kinds of stories he can tell. Um, to have him as a substitute teacher, that is a, that's a big win for that student. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, and then there we go again, you know, it's that academic background that enables you to go do these right. amazing things in the, in the outdoors. Yeah. Another guy, Jason Hardrath was an Ironman athlete and he was, uh, training to, uh, do the, the Ironman in Hawaii. Um, you know, one of the biggest, hardest races, you know, with a, you know, two mile swim, so a 112 mile bike ride and, and you finish up with a marathon, uh, just in doing incredible things uh, like that. And then he was involved. He's an educator too. He's a PE teacher. He, he uh, actually was on his way to a board meeting, lost control of his car and was ejected from his car and tore up his knee. Uh, so he couldn't compete as an Ironman, Ironman anymore. He pivoted to become a, a peak bagger and set 
he was the fastest man to set a hundred FKTs. Oh. So FKTs are fastest known times. Um, so just incredible how, you know, you, life throws you a big curveball, and you're able to, to pivot and, and make something out of it. Incredible story. Now you've chosen three athletes, three adventurers that have achieved monumentous uh, milestones in the outdoors. Do you find, um, week in and week out talking to them that they inspire you to do bigger and grander adventures? They do. They, they make me see what people are capable of, what I, I myself might be capable of. Maybe not to that uh, degree, but, you know, just getting out and doing stuff and challenging myself and pushing myself. Um, I've also talked to people who have done far less than this, um, and yet their stories are just as uh, rich and interesting and surprising. That is, um, that's definitely my takeaway so far. And, you know, from only doing this for 16 episodes is just the, the vibrancy that, that all these guests have to offer is, is truly amazing. Now, you know, given that, given that we're two podcasters here, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, uh, who would you most like to get on your podcast? You know, I thought I had Joe McConaughey, also known as Stringbean, lined up for an episode. He's a long distance hiker. seems like a really colorful character. And we, you know, we, we had some initial connections. I even put together an outline for him and I thought we were ready to record and he kind of just, I don't know if he got caught up in other stuff, but we haven't been able to, to reconnect. I also, if you've listened to the podcast, you know that I'm a little bit fascinated, a little bit obsessed with the Barkley marathons. And so I would, I would love to have uh, Gary Cantrell, AKA Lazarus Lake, the creator of the Barkley marathons on the podcast. I think that'd be a lot of fun. And also, um, if, have you seen the two documentaries, the two the two main documentaries on the Barkley Marathons? I've seen. I think uh, I've I've seen one, and it it just it's I like like you. I, the race is fascinating. Uh, for those who don't know, what is the what is this marathon? Okay, so <laughs> marathon. You put that put that in your quotes because <laughs> sure. uh, what it is it is a loop in a national park in Tennessee set up by by Gary Cantrell, Lazarus Lake. It is the the most bizarre race, most unique, um, infuriating race that you'll ever come across. The loop is said to be, you know, twenty miles, uh, twenty miles long. It, it ranges, I think, anywhere from twenty to, to like twenty six miles long. And to to be a finisher in the Barkley Marathons, you have to do that loop five times. And so there's a time limit. It's sixty hours. You have to do five loops in sixty hours. In, in the 30 plus years that the race has been in existence, there's been, I think, 15 finishers. And so this, this race takes endurance athletes, you know, the, the top athletes on the planet and chews them up and spits them out. I've talked to a number of folks that have attempted the Barkley, people like Mike Wardian, people like Jeff Garmeyer, and uh, they did not finish. They did not finish. It, it is a, it's an insane race that is an endurance um, event that has you hiking and wayfinding uh, daytime, nighttime, going counterclockwise on the loop, clockwise on the loop. Um, they don't tell you when it's going to start. You have like a 12-hour window when it's going to start. And then when they, they blow the horn, that means you have that's a one-hour warning. And the race starts when Gary Cantrell uh, lights a cigarette at the yellow gate. And then you're off. The, the lighting of the cigarette 
is it's got to be one of the most unique ways to start a race. Uh, <laughs> the 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 documentary that I watched it was actually, it was heartbreaking, and, and and you you are gonna know this more than me, but the guy he didn't finish because of a navigation error, in which when you're when you're going that many hours and you're you're so exhausted, I mean it's so easy to make a mistake, and it's just he missed it by I, I it couldn't have been more than a few minutes or yeah. Yeah, that that the name of that documentary is where where dreams go to die. And it was a story of Gary Robbins and his two attempts to do to do the Barkley. And you're right, just mere minutes. And strange things happen when you are sleep deprived. Right. Right. Yeah. The other main documentary about the Barkley is called uh, the race that eats its young. So those those two titles of those documentaries kind of give you some insight into you know what the Barkley is all about. <laughs> Well, right. the The titles itself gives you gives you an impression right. to w- what's going on here. Okay. Well, it's it's uh, it's it's good to know that there are you know some some future future projects out there, some future future goals. Um, now, do you uh, do you also have future trips, future outdoor trips that you're you're looking that you're excited to do? Yeah, Chopper has set up a piece of the Tahoe Rim Trail, the part that goes through the Desolation Wilderness. So looking forward to, to doing that and eventually doing the, the whole Tahoe Rim Trail. We've talked about doing the Lost Coast Trail in set Northern California, kind of where the, uh, the, the Pacific Coast Highway, you know, they tried to hug the coast and then it became, this, this part just became inaccessible, too rough, uh, parts kept failing and so they just kind of left it there and so it's a it's a nice stretch of coast where you're, you're through hiking on on the coast you have to know the the tidal patterns in order to, to cross some parts of, of this trail and i don't you know i i like the mountains but the more i've heard about the desert from some of my guests i i would now don't tell mrs doc this i'm gonna have to whisper this in case she's too close but i would i would like to eventually try and give maybe the arizona trail a try interesting yeah uh you know, to to echo that point, I've found that the guests who are moving southbound tend to enjoy the desert in general. Southbound on the PCT tend to en- enjoy the desert a lot more. I don't. A lot of them have said perhaps it's because they're so dialed in at that point that they can really enjoy this unique landscape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Well, so so who knows? It's good to hear that you've got uh, uh, some trips as well as podcasts. Um, you know, kind of in the, in the sights for the future. I think we've circled back. Um, it's that time. Uh, now do you have, have you thought through your, your pro, uh, it's pro tip inside of the week for this, for this podcast? You know, I have, I have committed the cardinal sin that all of my guests, I give them the, the warning up front as well. And then we get to it and they're like, Oh my gosh, I haven't even, I don't even know what to, what to say. What, uh, I don't want to be um, cliche and say hike your own hike and don't let the expectations of other dictate dictate uh, what you do out there. Um, trail runners we've talked about. Uh, we've talked about embracing the suck, kind of leaning into being uncomfortable. Um, the part about over planning, uh, I think part of the pleasure for me about through hiking is planning, taking a look at the maps, kind of identifying where you're going to camp, how far you're going to go, um, anticipating what it's going to be like. And then you get out there and it's, it's different. You know, after the first day, you're already off, off your schedule. 
And so, uh, yeah, I think maybe maybe the pro tip is um, being flexible out there, being being able to roll with the punches. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. Uh, enjoy the moment and uh, soak it all up. That's a that's a great way to to sum it up. Just be out there and enjoy it, and uh, just know that it, it doesn't always go your way. So you gotta you gotta roll with it. Uh-huh. Now, uh, and I believe I believe you end on this, so I thought I'd I'd end close to that too. What what have I not asked you that you're dying to talk about? Um, I had a really fun time in January talking to the four guys who did the calendar year triple crown in 2022. I think it was the largest class ever to complete the calendar triple crown. I think there there's close to 20 people now that have done that. It's basically hiking about 7,800 miles. Uh, in one calendar year. Some of the guys started in, in January and didn't finish till November. Uh, one of the guys started on the Appalachian Trail in April and decided that he wanted to do all three trails. Um, his name was uh, Boomerang. He was from Germany. Really impressive that he was able to get all three trails finished in just you know seven months. Um, but but uh, that, that episode was called Trail Savants because each one of them you know, they didn't hike together. They didn't do it together. They all took a different approach and started at different times of the year. And they kept track of, e- track of each other on the trail, you know, via social media. Uh, they knew each other that they were out there. But um, being able to get all four of them on the same episode and have them talk about their approach and their experiences out there and share some stories from the trail, that was a lot of fun. And it was co-hosted. I was able to wrangle up as a co-host for that episode, uh, Jeff Garmeyer who is a character. He's been on the podcast four or five times and he is just hilarious. So he was kind of like the color commentator to my uh, play-by-play guy. That sounds like an amazing podcast. I'm excited to go back and and and, and watch it just to, to have, I think, all those different perspectives must have been a, a, a lot of fun. Yeah, and just to give you some insight into the flavor of their characters, I'll tell you their trail names. So we had Legend as the co-host, and we had uh, Boomerang, as I mentioned. We had The Professor. We had Quadzilla and Kansas Express. So some colorful characters. Sounds like they they run the spectrum in terms of perhaps approaches and personality. Exactly. (laughs) Probably some well-deserved trail names. Doc... I wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast. I've really enjoyed it. I've personally learned uh, quite a bit as, as uh, you know, we're two brothers in arms in this, in this podcasting world, but I thank you for coming on and I uh, hope to see you out on the trail. Same here, Eric. I really enjoyed it. And you know what? We're going to have to turn the tables on you and have you come on as a guest on the podcast and you can share some of your stories. Well, I, I can't wait.